You know, it's kind of an interesting, you know, our prayer time together is kind of an interesting segue into kind of where we're going. I mean, we're going to spend the next six weeks kind of unpacking this new series that's really built around some stuff that I'm really wrestling with. And a lot of what we do on Sunday morning as I teach and preach and share text really is coming from my own wrestling and my own dealing with the Lord and my own discovery in Scripture. It's not that I've, I've figured these things out and now it's time to tell the people. The reality is, is that God is convicting me and pushing me and challenging me and you just kind of get the brunt into that. And so this is, um, is where we are. One of the great tension points of my life and I think in my struggle with following Christ is really centers around the idea of control. And it really centers around it because it's, it's really a main problem, and that's the control. I want it, and God calls me to give it up. And that's why there's a huge tension in my life with Christ, is because I want control of my life, and God calls me to give it up. I mean, it's kind of in our nature. We want to control our lives. We want to be able to make the decisions that have the best outcome for us. And if you've been in worship for the past few weeks, you've kind of heard me hit on this over and over and over again. But control's a funny thing, isn't it? I mean, we all long for it. We all want to wrap our hands around on it. But the truth is, I mean, it doesn't really exist. There is no such thing as control, no matter how much we prepare or store up or, you know, get ready for or, or whatever it is, we can't really control anything. I mean, control is an illusion. We can't control anything that matters. I mean, we can work to prepare for situations in our life, but we can't control the outcome. We can't control weather. We can't control anything. We can't control what happens when we leave here today, but we all want it. Because control is one of those things where, because if we have it, and control puts us in a place where we can be safe, right? Where we can be safe and comfortable when it comes to following Christ. If I can control my life enough, then I can remain safe enough to feel comfortable. But when I really think about my life, when I really push my life with Christ, I feel like I'm right on the edge of wanting to go, God, I am all in. Everything I am is yours. But I'm petrified. I'm petrified of what it means to just totally let go and say, I am letting go of myself. And I venture to say that a lot of us are in that same place. That we want to give God just enough control to where we feel like we're actually following Jesus, but it doesn't cost me anything, or there's not a risk involved. It's just enough following Jesus where I can give 7.5% of my income, but not have to give everything away. Just enough control of my life to say, God, I will go where you send me as long as it's not any of these categories that I've laid out. I mean, that's how we deal with control. And it's a tension place or tension spot in my life because I want it and God calls me to let it go. You know, there's a word that really centers centers around the gospel of Jesus Christ that I really think most of us have yet to really truly deal with. And that word is the word surrender. My favorite definition of the word is this, to give oneself up or to relinquish control. The word surrender means to give oneself up or to relinquish control. I mean, this is at the heartbeat of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God calls us to come and die, to give our lives up, to relinquish control of our lives and say, God, my very life is yours. I mean, this is the core of what it means to be a Christ follower to relinquish control of our lives, and to give it up. Yet this is the exact tension point that most of us live in. We are more than willing to give God part of our lives, 
the part of our lives that don't cost and the part of our lives that don't risk. But the reality is in Scripture, what we see Jesus calling people to time and time and time again is to let go of everything, everything. And over the next six weeks, we're going to be exploring literally verse by verse the book of Jonah as we really deal with this idea. What is holding me back from stepping into a life of total and absolute surrender to Jesus Christ? What is holding me back from stepping into a life of total and absolute surrender to Jesus Christ? Because it's the question that presses so deeply on my heart. Is it fear? Is it it control? What is that thing that is holding me back from going, God, not only am I all in, but everything is yours. And Jonah is an amazing picture of this because Jonah is one of those Bible heroes that's not really such a great hero, but lives and has a heart that is really similar to what I believe echoes through you and me. And that is, God, I want to give you everything, but I'm not sure I'm really ready to let go of myself enough to do it. And if we're going to truly be Christ followers, we've got to be willing to sort of let go of everything and get a little bit out of control, which is kind of why I've titled this next series that we're embarking on, Out of Control. What would life look like if we just let our lives get out of control and just said, God, everything for you? So we're going to be unpacking this with that as our central theme over the next few weeks as we open the pages of Jonah. Now, let me give you a little bit of word about the book of Jonah first because it's kind of important. I mean, a lot of scholars have really gone back and forth about whether the book of Jonah is even real. Whether it's fact or whether it's allegory or some kind of metaphorical story or whether it's a tale. And most of that sort of stems around the idea that made the book famous. That miracle that has sort of set Jonah apart as a Bible story. And we all know it if you've kind of been around church at all or you grew up in church as a youngster. You've heard the story of Jonah because Jonah gets thrown into the sea and he is swallowed by a great fish. Three days he spends in the belly of this fish, and then the Bible tells us that the the fish literally vomits him up out onto dry land, right? Well, scholars have gone back and forth on this, saying, how could this even be? I mean, there's no such thing as a fish. I mean, I've read stories about how, you know, it must have been this kind of whale, because only that kind of whale had a stomach big enough to hold a grown man, and, 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 you know, but, but scholars have said there's no way that could possibly happen. I mean, there's just, there's not a fish that exists big enough to hold Jonah in his in his stomach. So this story must be metaphor, it must be story, and, and here's my advice on that whole deal, all right? Here's my advice. You can deal with it how you want to, but let me, let me tell you what I, I think. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God created the world. I have no problem with that. I believe that God literally made the stars in the heavens, that God formed everything, absolutely. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God, through the miracle of the Holy Spirit, caused a virgin named Mary to give birth to Jesus Christ beyond a shadow of a doubt. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God raised his son Jesus from the dead in a miraculous way, beyond a shadow of a doubt. In fact, everything in my faith is built around those three things. Do I believe that God could cause a great fish to swallow a man? In comparison to those three things, we're talking small potatoes. I don't know how he did it. I don't really care. Maybe God kind of folded Jonah up into some kind of really cool cube and shoved him in there. I don't care. The reality is, I'm not going to question whether or not God could put a man in the belly of a fish when God made the burning sun, 
When God raised his son from the dead, and you think I'm worried about whether or not God could make a man go into a fish? Not on my agenda of things to worry about. So whether or not you want to deal with Jonah's allegory or you want to deal with Jonah as fact, just keep those things in mind. Don't ever say that God can't do something because God can do pretty much anything that is beyond our scope of imagination. So don't get hung up in the realities that work in your mind with things. Just say, God, here I am. Metaphor, fact, I trust you. Here it is. So that's where I say we begin the story of Jonah. Let's not limit what God can do. Let's imagine that we believe in a God that can do things that are beyond our comprehension. And let's not get hung up on the tail of a fish if we believe God raised his son from the dead. You know, Jonah takes place in a really interesting time in the history of Israel. I mean, life is treacherous and it is dangerous. And, and there is a, a movement of a huge empire called the Assyrians that are pressing to take over the entire world or known world at the time. And they had recently captured the area of a, of a, of a region called Damascus, which was just north of Israel. And the Assyrians were huge and they were powerful and they were nasty. And at the time, Israel had just split into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was called Judah. The northern kingdom kept the name Israel and was ruled by a guy by the name of Jeroboam II. And that is the time where Jonah's ministry took place. Ministering in the northern kingdom during the reign of Jeroboam II while the Assyrians were essentially taking over the world. The Assyrians had just captured this whole region called Damascus, and Israel sort of took advantage of that time, and they expanded their borders to their original borders for the first time in 100 years, which may not sound like a big deal to you and I, but it really made the Assyrians really mad. Because while they were at battle with the Damascus people, you know, the Israelites kind of sneak up there, and they're like, ha-ha, and they make a new border. Well, the Assyrians are mean, and they're huge, and eventually we know that they come and wipe out the northern kingdom of Israel and haul every person off to exile. But what's important to know about this time in history is that it is dangerous and it is treacherous and the Assyrians are mean and they are powerful. And Jonah's ministry takes place right in the middle of that window as a prophet of God. Literally, he is a mouthpiece of God to proclaim God's word in this difficult and dangerous time. Israel's unstable in a mess. The world is unstable in a mess. And Jonah is the mouthpiece of God. And we're going to explore the book of Jonah from that standpoint. God, we trust you. God, we want to surrender control to you. And God, we recognize that these are crazy days. So as we begin to open the book of Jonah together, we're going to start with just the first few verses this morning and kind of work through things over the next few weeks. But if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Jonah chapter 1. So all those things to get us to that one little first verse. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and find Jonah chapter 1. If not, you can follow along with me. We're going to be in the first three verses this morning as we begin to open up the Word of God and say, God, what would it look like if I gave myself away and relinquished control to you? Let's pray before we open God's Word together. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who loves us and cares for us and calls us to a life that trusts you. Lord, we admit and confess that we are men and women who, who don't trust you very well that oftentimes want to trust you just enough to where we don't actually have to really trust you, just enough to say we do, but not enough to really give our lives over to you. Lord, I pray over the next weeks, including this one, that you would convict us deeply, that you would convict me deeply, that you would challenge me from your word, and that you would challenge us to live lives that, that literally say, God, I want what you want, and I will give control of my life to you. I 
will surrender. Take just a moment, and as we prepare to dive into God's word, just ask the Lord to move in your heart this morning. Just say, God, move in me. Just move in me. Just whisper that to the Lord in your heart. Pray for someone beside you or behind you. Maybe you don't know their name. doesn't matter. Just pray for them. Just ask God to do something in their life. Be in the habit of praying for the people around you. God, we thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, that it penetrates the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. God, that your word is alive and an encounter with your word is an encounter with you. Prepare us to meet with you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just the first three verses. We're not going too deep today. We're just going to start off and begin this process together. But the first three verses of the book of Jonah are this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amnitay, and he said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord." So the book of Jonah, Jonah's a prophet of the Lord, and the book of Jonah starts off like a lot of the other prophetic books. A word of the Lord came to Jonah. In other words, God spoke directly to Jonah. In this period of history, God spoke directly to prophets that then were the, were the mouthpiece, literally, of the Lord. They then proclaimed the word of the Lord, usually to the kings of either the southern kingdom of Israel or the northern kingdom of Israel. But in this case, we see a very different call coming to Jonah. The word of the Lord says, go and preach to the great city of Nineveh because its wickedness has come up before me. And what does Jonah do? Jonah runs. It says that he flees for a town called Tarshish. In fact, he goes down to this port city of Joppa and he buys a ticket and he sets sail for another city. Now, there's a couple of things that we really need to explore here that I think find this kind of intro to this book really really interesting because the call to Jonah is really important we don't know a lot about it but we know it's distinct and we know it's straightforward and we know that Jonah understands it God's call to Jonah is first and foremost to go and preach Jonah has to physically make a move to go to the city of Nineveh and I'll tell you a bit more about that city in a moment but Jonah has to get up and go to Nineveh. He can't write a letter, he can't send a scroll, he can't send a messenger, he can't just have a really mean thought and send it their way. Jonah has to go to the city. When God calls people to go, he calls them to movement. He calls them to action. God says, go to the city, literally physically go to the city and preach against it. Now, we don't actually know what he's supposed to say. But we just know that he's supposed to preach against this great city whose wickedness has come up before the Lord. So Jonah's call is very specific, go and preach. That's it, go and preach. And he's called to go and preach against the great city of Nineveh. Now Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And as you heard me say earlier, the Assyrians were powerful, they were dominant, and they were nasty. And Nineveh was the capital of that city. Now, even God himself calls the city of Nineveh great. Nineveh was huge. I mean, by, by those standards in antiquity, it was a massive 
city. We know that it took three days via history to even cross the city. Its walls were 100 feet high, and they were so thick that three chariots could run around the top side by side. It had within its walls fields for cattle and growing all the crops that they needed within its very own walls. Nineveh was a massive city. It was great, and it was great for a lot of reasons because the world looked at it as sort of the picture of what power was. So we know that Nineveh, the capital of the Syrian Empire, was this mega city. And we also know that it was a wicked city. God says that its wickedness has come before me. Now, I said the people of Nineveh were wicked, but they were awful. Nahum's entire prophecy in the book of Nahum in the Old Testament, almost his entire prophecy is against the city of Nineveh. Talks about their prostitution and the witchcraft and the exploitation both commercially and of people. The bodies that are laying in the streets, the fact that they are murderers of children and women. I mean, these were awful people and they were wicked. And Jonah's call is a radical one. It is actually to go to this city and preach against its wickedness. Now, the reason that's a radical call is because usually a prophet, a Jewish prophet, was called to speak to the kings that were Jewish, to say, hey, listen, I want to let you know that unless you sort of turn your rule around, God's going to punish you. And those kings that were ruling over either the southern or the northern kingdom had a relationship with the Lord on some level. They were Jewish people. But the Assyrians were pagans. They had no recollection of the Jewish God. In fact, they were pressing south as hard as they could, and soon they were going to conquer the entire northern kingdom of Israel anyway. And everybody hated the Assyrians. I mean, everybody. They were barbaric, and they were awful. Yet God's call to Jonah was to go and preach to them. The question then becomes, how does Jonah respond to this call? Well, Jonah runs. He flees. Jonah takes off. I mean, most of us that have ever read the book know this is the central point of the book. God says to go, and Jonah goes the other way. Now, a lot of speculation has been kind of made about about why Jonah would run. I mean, maybe the task was too difficult. I mean, there's a lot of people that have written over the fact that Jonah ran because the task that God gave him was way too hard. It was just too difficult. I mean, these people were, were, were mean and they were massive and they were dominant. And, and to have a little Jewish prophet show up at your gate and knock on a 100-foot wall and be like, hey, excuse me, I got something to say. I mean, at the very least, they would laugh and make a fool of him. At the very worst, they'd capture him and kill him. It's just too hard of a task. You know, some people have even ventured to say the reason Jonah ran was because it was too dangerous. I mean, you didn't step foot in Assyrian as a neighboring, and Assyria as a neighboring country. Surely you would lose your very life. Jonah's like, God, I signed up as a prophet, but I didn't sign up for this. A lot of people speculate that Jonah was running because he was afraid. The reality is, if you really read the book of Jonah, it's neither of those things. We're going to find out exactly what it is later as we unpack this together. But the bottom line is that Jonah was running from God. It tells us right there, twice, in verse 2, it says literally that Jonah ran away from the Lord. At the end of verse 3, he says, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah is in a high-speed run from God. And I think really it's because Jonah wants control of his life and God is calling him to give it away. Now, the exact reason why, we're going to discover a little bit later, but that's what it boils down to. God's call on Jonah's life was in direct opposition to Jonah's desire 
for control, and so he takes off. It says that he takes off for a city called Tarshish, which most likely is a Spanish port. Now, I don't know how many of you are, are good with geography, but let me paint a little picture for you, okay? So here's the way the Middle East and that sort of area of the world works. The Assyrian Empire is way up here in this sort of huge picture of massive dominant culture. And Israel is right down here, and it's kind of a small little country, and Assyria is pressing down on it. And Nineveh is way up here in the middle of Assyria. You've got to see it right here, way up here, right? Israel's here and the Mediterranean Sea. Now, if you go all the way over here, way out over here, you are going to find a town called Tarshish on the corner of the Spanish coast. It actually was the end of the known world. You could go no farther than Tarshish. You're sailing past Greece, past Italy, all the way up to Spain. Now, Joppa was a little coastal port. And what Jonah did is when God said, go to Nineveh, which is right up here, he goes down and catches a boat and he sails literally across the world. That's where he's going. Jonah is running to the opposite end of the known world. So he goes to Joppa and he's going, hey, how far are you going? They're going, well, as far as we can go without falling off the edge is Tarshish. He's like, I'll take one of those. So he sets sail. I mean, this is what Jonah is doing. He is in a full run from the Lord. I mean, Jonah could have just simply folded his arms and said, I'm not going. You can't make me go. But he doesn't. I mean, my kids do all the time. You can't make me. Oh, I can make you. Jonah's in a full sprint from God. I mean, taking off. He boards a boat. And let me tell you, you know, sailing and maritime adventures 2,000 years ago aren't what they were today. It's not like you caught a cruise ship and you're playing shuffleboard on the deck. I mean, this is like you work for your fare and shipwrecks happen all the time. Ask Paul. Paul was shipwrecked like 13 times. I mean, setting sail was dangerous. Jonah wasn't afraid of the Lord. He wasn't afraid of going to Nineveh. Taking his life in his own hands of sailing on this boat was probably 10 times more dangerous. But nonetheless, Jonah sets sail. We find Jonah in a full run from the Lord, really, at the end of the day, because God's call on Jonah's life was in direct opposition to Jonah's desire for control. And we're going to see why that is in the next few weeks. But it's really easy for us to look at Jonah and be like, I can't believe you're running from God. I mean, that never works. That never works. But really, are we that different? And as I was reading this, I was saying, man, God, I am just like Jonah. I mean, think about God's call to Jonah, go and preach. Do you know that God's call to you and I is exactly the same? If you read the Great Commission, if you read Scripture, God's call for us as followers of Christ is to go and preach, to go and tell, to go and make disciples, to proclaim to the world the love and grace of Jesus Christ. God's call for you and I is the exact same as it is to Jonah, go and preach. Now, a lot of us don't like to admit that. We like to think of call in terms of big, general, kind of sweeping things, but really God's call is oftentimes very specific and very direct, go and preach. And most of us think that that go and preach is not really for us, it's for our pastors or evangelists or young people when they go and do mission work or or for some kind of radical, right? But that's not really for me. I mean, I'm not really called to go, I'm not really called to preach, I'm just called to, to come and sing. I mean, that's my calling. And I'm going to do it with some music I'm not really comfortable with. And so that is really risking it for you, Jesus. But the call of the Lord is to go and preach. And I love it when people say, you know what, I'm not called to missions. I laugh. I'm not called to go. Because if you read scripture, you are. 
You don't get the luxury to say, I'm not called to go. I'm not called to mission. I'm not called. You are. Read scripture. The Bible says go. Really what that means is it says, God, I'm not ready to release that part of my life to your will yet. That's all that really means. When we say, God, I'm not called, you know what that means? It just means, God, I'm not ready to give it up. I'm petrified that you're going to send me to some country where I'm not going to have running water. The reality of God's call is that he does call us to go and preach. Go and share. Go and love. Go and disciple. Go. I mean, read your Bible. It's all over it. The problem is, is that God's call in our life comes in direct tension to our desire to control our lives. God, I will go as long as you confirm it 500 times and you prepare the way and you lay everything out so that it works. I will figure out what that means. God, I will step away from my job as long as I have another one lined up. God, I will risk this as long as I know the outcome. Just tell me how it's going to work. But God never gives us those kind of instructions. He just simply says, go, preach, love, share, disciple. I mean, this is our call. Now, God's call on Jonah's life seems really radical, doesn't it? I mean, to go to Nineveh, the sort of wicked, dominant, powerful empire, to risk your very life, to tell people a very unfriendly, unhappy message. So he's going to walk in. It's not going to be like, listen, I've got to tell you something. God loves you. I mean, he loves you. You guys are amazing. He's going to wrap his arms of love around you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter. God loves you so much. I mean, that's the message we proclaim, right? Grace in Jesus Christ. God loves you this much. Jonah's word for Nineveh is to preach against their wickedness. Not exactly as popular as God's love, God loves you. So Jonah was called to this sort of radical go and preach, this radical thing. You know that God's call for you and I, and God's call for me, and God's call for you is equally as radical. That God calls us to things that are seemingly impossible. Most of us just refuse to listen. God calls us to lives that are, that are beyond extraordinary, that cost us dearly and challenge us to risk everything. God calls us to, to step away from work and start something else. God calls us to give it all away. God calls us to go. God calls, of us, calls us to pick up that phone and, and, and forgive that person for, not, who, for 19 years we have held anger and hatred against. God calls us to look at that person who we have cubicled across in our office for 13 years and actually speak into their life. God calls us to radical things. And the reality is most of us won't walk that path until we decide that we can already see the outcome. Once I know, I won't fail. Once I know, I won't be ridiculed. Once I know, I won't follow my face. God, I am all in. The reality of following Christ is that the tension between saying, God, I want all of what you have for me and relinquishing control of my own life is a constant struggle. But the call of Jesus Christ is to lay down our lives and relinquish control. So the question then, of course, is how do we respond? I mean, if Jonah responds by running, how do you and I respond to God's call? God's call to go and to preach and to radical things for the kingdom of God. Do we run? And maybe you're here this morning because you are in a full sprint from God. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you know in your heart that you have been fighting and pushing and pushing and pushing back from the Lord. Maybe you're emotionally on a, just a dead sprint away from God and that you know that he has been pursuing and trying to capture your heart and you are running. Maybe you're halfway across the Mediterranean Sea on your own boat to Tarshish, knowing full well that God has called you to something significant and you will not let go. Maybe you're just on the beginning of that journey. Maybe you're beginning to sense that God is pressing something on your heart, that the God of the universe is is pressing something on your heart about releasing control of your financial situation or of your your fears over your children or whatever it may be, and you know that to actually do that is going to cost you this illusion of control, and you are scared to death, petrified of saying, God, I trust you. We can respond by running, and most of us are there. Most of us have been there. Most of us will be there. But that's not the life that God calls us to. God doesn't call us to a life that runs. God calls us to a life that lays down. And I love the idea of surrender because of this. I mean, think about it in terms of of the law. If you are being chased by the police. Now, I don't know how many of you here have been chased by the police. I had a few incidents in high school where I got chased by the police. But when you're chased by the police and you realize you can't run anymore, what do you do? You stop, you throw your hands in the air, and you say, I surrender. And that's really all it is. In the middle of our running, we say, God, I give up and I surrender. I give myself away and I relinquish control. Most of us think we can't do that. It's that easy. It's that easy. Just saying, God, I stop and I trust you that you are in control. I will tell you this. Living a life of total surrender is dangerous it's risky, and it's petrifying. But I wouldn't have it any other way. If we're going to be followers of Christ, both individually and as a community, if we are going to say, Jesus, we will put our feet in the places that you put your feet, it is going to cost us, it is going to be risky, and it is going to be dangerous. And we could stand on the edge right now and be absolutely petrified. But if we are going to live the lives that God is calling us to, We have to be willing to let go of everything. Now, I know you're sitting here saying, Trev, I I get that. I hear you say that. But what does that really mean? I mean, how do I do that? Well, you've got to deal with the Lord. First of all, you have to address what you're running from. What are you running from? What have you yet to give up? What kind of anger issues are you holding on to? What kind of frustrations and fear are driving your life? What kind of call from the Lord are you refusing to hear? Because before you can stop running, you've got to realize that you are running. And then you just start by saying, Jesus, I'm done. I'm done. Now, some of you are here this morning, and you have been running from the Lord, and you are hearing me talk about Jesus, and you are saying, I have never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have never given my life over to him. We want to tell you this, that God's love is a pursuing, life-changing, transforming love. That God loved you and I so much that he sent his son Jesus to give us life. That if we surrender our lives to him, we will not only have abundant life here on earth, but eternal life in heaven. That is the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe the first thing you're running from this morning is not some kind of radical call to leave here and buy a ticket to Argentina, but instead is just a surrender to God's will over your will. 
that you have tried to dictate your plan for your life and you know that God is pursuing you and he wants you. And maybe this morning it's just the beginning to say, God, I want to give my life to you for the very first time. And so as we close in prayer this morning and get ready to to respond in worship, I want to give you the opportunity, if you've never had the opportunity, to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. That if you're sitting here this morning and you've said, God, I've never given my life to you. I've shown up in church for 27 years, yet I've never said, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. That my life has been a facade and it's been a run and it has been a full sprint from you. Then we want to give you that opportunity to surrender your life this morning to Jesus Christ. And it's nothing fancy and it's nothing magic. It's just saying you, saying, God, I trust you. I believe you love me enough to send your son Jesus to die for me and I give you my heart. And if you feel the Holy Spirit pressing on your life this morning, maybe today is the day that you stop running and just give your life away. So we're going to give you the opportunity, if you've never had the chance to give your life to Jesus Christ, we want you to be able to surrender ultimately to that first and foremost before we can surrender to anything else. We have to surrender our lives to Christ. And those of you that are here that have done that, that are walking with Jesus, what is it that God is pressing on your life? Where is your control tension point? Where is that point in your life where where your desire for control is at direct opposition to what God's call is on your life? And maybe it's not a huge radical thing. Maybe it's just that one thing that you can't seem to turn loose of. And as we close in prayer and we respond in worship, I want you to deal with the Lord on that. Do not walk outside these doors hanging on to that exact same thing. It's time to stop running and begin to surrender. Let's pray together.